When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Happy Canada Day. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. As we celebrate our nation's birthday, we are very lucky to live in Canada. And from a sporting standpoint, always fun to think back on some of the great moments that Canadian athletes have been able to achieve over the years or teams based in Canada. I mean, I think you'd put the Toronto Raptors NBA championship up there, the Toronto Blue Jays winning back-to-back World Series. Those were pretty big moments in hockey. So many to choose from. Those three legendary goals Paul Henderson in 1972 Mario Lemieux in 1987 and Sidney Crosby at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver my favorite my favorite Canadian sports moment I think from something uh, at the Olympics or in an international competition I got to go back to 1996 Donovan Bailey 100 meter champion in Atlanta and then a week later the Canadian 4x100 relay team anchored by Bailey won the gold medal anyway it is a best of edition inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you've had a great Canada Day to this point. Thanks for spending part of it with us. We're going to get to Warren Moon tonight, Glenn Anderson, Marty Jelena, and a couple other guests as well as we look back on some of our top interviews from over the past month or so on the show. And we were lucky enough to have Chris Cuthbert on the show. Used to work here at CBC Edmonton. He's gone on to great things doing play-by-play for CBC, TSN, and now he is joining Ron Rogers and joining Sportsnet to call hockey. First down, Riley the throw. Looking for Darius Bowman. Touchdown! On the money to his favorite target. On the right side of half around the 54 yard line. And Rick Riley going to work. Going deep. Down to Walker. Touchdown! That didn't take long. Here comes the rush. Ray looking in zone. Some classic Eskimos moments. Now, of course, we brought you all of those on 630 Chet, but on the television side on TSN and the voice of the CFL on TSN until, well, just uh, about a week and a half ago, Chris Cuthbert joins us on the line. Chris, you're on with Reed. Great to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm good, Reed. Uh, Yeah, that uh, BC Edmonton matchup would have been a good one. Yeah, would have had Mike Riley coming back to town. Of course, he broke his wrist here in a game last year, and there's always going to be the emotional connection for the Eskimos uh, to, to Riley, regardless of who he plays for. Man, your voice, Chris, is on pretty much every signature CFL moment going back over uh, over over a decade. That's going to be pretty cool to think about that. You know, I, I started, uh, my first uh, TV call was in 1991, but I actually started as a, a sidelines guy on the uh, Montreal Alouettes radio in 1981, and Wally Buana was still in the Alouettes lineup, and they the Al's that year, had a, they brought in Vince Ferragamo, who had been in the Super Bowl the year before with the L.A. Rams, but and there were great expectations, but uh, I think the team won four games that year. It was a complete disaster, but 
But uh, I'll tell you what, there were some interesting guys, including uh, a defensive lineman by the name of Chris Walby in his rookie year. And uh, I, I'm just telling you all this to let you know that, uh, yeah, I've been around the league a long time, and, uh, and I'm going to miss it. Were they playing in the Big O in 81? Yes, they were. Yeah, in fact, uh, I became the voice of the Montreal Concords uh, in '82 through '84, and they were they were still playing at the Big O then. Uh, uh, in fact, not only did uh, that Concords team have one Canadian quarterback, they actually had two. And uh, consider that now with uh, how rare that is. But back then, they had both uh, Jerry Dettilio and a French Canadian kid by the name of Luke Tuzignan, who uh, had. Uh, had a few reps in the league. Wow, I, I don't remember those those guys. I mean, I was definitely watching the league then, but, I, man, I, I do not remember those players. And you got to call three seasons of the Montreal Concourts, which means you got three or four victories in there. They, yeah, they there were weren't very many. good. There weren't many. One last story about them, because it's kind of neat. Uh, it was a rebuild, and they were a last-place team, and Joe Galat, who later became a CBC color commentator, was the man in charge of GM and coach. And uh, he told me at a, at a point in time that he had put a guy by the name of Doug Flutie on the Alouettes, or the, sorry, the Concord's negotiation list, and he was quite confident that Flutie would change the fortunes of Montreal football. And a little later that year, Flutie threw the Hail Mary pass, and I was impressed. I thought, wow, this is the guy that's going to change football in Montreal. And Joe was devastated because he knew that 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 Hail Mary was going to give Doug Flutie a chance to play at least for a time in the National Football League and uh, we do know the rest of the story. Flutie did come to the Canadian Football League a few years later but not to Montreal and he certainly made a big difference in, in both Calgary and Toronto. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's amazing. I, I never knew that. But yeah, Flutie, an all-time great. We had more and well, Warren Moon on the show last night, Chris. And of course, you you used to work uh, in Edmonton. I guess you came here after Moon played here, but he is still revered here in the city of champions whenever he's hey, talked hey, about he's he's revered across canada he's a, he's revered everywhere where people follow football and uh just one last one i guess the the year ferragamo went to commonwealth they uh well, they were filling commonwealth all the time back then but uh they filled it that uh, night and i think warren moon filled the end zone to it i think i think edmonton put over 50 points on the board against montreal and uh and we found out that uh, the moon ferragamo matchup was uh, was pretty one-sided you know what chris we had chris ferragamo sorry chris uh, vince ferragamo on the show and i can't even remember when it when it was but you know dave campbell produced the show and one night we we're just like let's just try to get vince ferragamo and he came on i i wish i could remember more about what he said but yeah it's interesting you get those guys coming on telling stories okay we gotta we gotta get the update from you here that was big news you're going from tsn to sportsnet can you can you take us, uh, you know, us, us people working in Edmonton and, and people who have followed your career for years, how does something like this 
happen? How does the machine start working for you to make the move? Well, I, I, I think everybody's kind of got a pandemic story, and mine was uh, starting to reevaluate things as uh, as you sit at home for month after month. And uh, meanwhile, at each night, Sportsnet's playing all these old classic games from the 80s, 90s, and, and uh, a lot of those games brought back some good memories for me, like the, the 91 series between the Oilers and Flames and uh, uh, Messier's guaranteed game in uh, uh, 94 for the Rangers and and that series, which I did, um, and, and Patrick Waugh's final game at the Forum in, in Montreal, which I had the, the privilege of doing, and all those games started to remind me of, you know, uh, how special it was to work on Saturday night and to follow the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, and as I was kind of looking at when I might have that opportunity in Canada again, it, uh, the rights are another six years. I, I did some math with my age and figured out that if uh, if TSN did get the rights, and, and that wasn't even assured, I'd, I'd be close to 70 before I had another chance at uh, national TV uh, hockey play-by-play and, and a chance of calling a Stanley Cup. So uh, as my contract came near an end in late May, uh, my agent reached out and uh, uh, and, and Sportsnet said that if I was a free agent, they talked to me. And when I, when my contract expired, they uh, they did uh, decide that I might be uh, I might be an acquisition for their team. Okay, I got to ask you the hard news question. So I'll be the jerk here. <laughs> Don't be a jerk, do, Reed. <laughs> do, do we read? Anything into your decision about the precarious future of the Canadian Football League? No, and maybe not no. Happen. You know, I, okay. I, I was, I was kind of thinking about this uh, in the spring, you know, at home, and and uh, actually, when when the news came out kind of after I'd been really mulling this about, I, I kind of winced because, A, I don't want to see the league not, you know, play, but, B, I, I, I knew that that question might come. But, uh, listen, I, I love the league, and, and my best answer would be that my first Grey Cup call was in 1996, and I had more than a few people say, I'm really happy you're going to get to call a Grey Cup because, unfortunately, it's going to be the last one. Well, 1996 was not the last one, and um, I don't think 2019 is the last one either. I, you know, I are they coming back this year? I don't think anybody's got that answer yet. But uh, I still believe in the league, and uh, I still believe that uh, uh, there's too many fans and, and too many people that love this league that uh, that aren't going to let it die. Well, you make a great point, and the CFL is interesting to me. So I mentioned watching, I mean, I was born in 1974, so I can remember the last couple Eskimos five in a rows and everything since then. And I, it seems like ever since I was five years old, someone's been telling me the CFL is on its last legs. Like, it o- occupies such an interesting place in our country because it has a lot of fans, but there's also a lot of apathy and a lot of Canadians who will even actively say that they don't want to watch it. It's always been strange to me. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that if you're a football fan, you're a football fan. Uh, I mean, in college football, the, do you, you only watch the, the SEC. Uh, I, I watch any good football, and that includes uh, university football. And, uh, um, you, you know, it is frustrating at times. You you kind of uh, uh, – I've, I've, I've always believed in the league, and I go back to the Russ Jackson days in the 60s. That's when I became a fan, and uh, uh, it, it was always – an important part of, of my sports appetite. I got to cheer. I started cheering for for teams in the NFL only because certain CFL stars were going down there, and I kind of pick up a following of whether it be, uh, and I'm going way back to Vic Washington and Margie Atkins and Bo Scott who went from Ottawa to the NFL or Mac Heron who was a great star in Winnipeg and went to the New England Patriots Dieter Brock who went down and, and more recently Flutie, Jeff Garcia you know, Alex Singleton whoever, you name them uh, um, and uh, uh, you know I'll, I'll, uh, I'll cheer for those guys when they go down and make an impact because I think the most underrated athlete uh, that we follow is the Canadian football athlete. Uh, I, I really believe that most of them are uh, would have an opportunity to play down there. If uh, you know, it's such a, a draft order uh, uh, for the NFL setup that if you're if you're drafting the first three rounds, you're going to make an NFL roster before a guy that may be a, a better athlete that slipped through the cracks, comes up to Canada, hones their skills, and then becomes, uh, you know, a star player. Those guys going back down to try have a real tough time uh, beating out a, a guy drafted in the first three rounds just because the GM's got to tell his owner uh, that uh, the draft choices he made are, were good choices. So, um, you know, it gets a lot deeper than that, but... Um, the size of the field's different, different athletes recruited, but uh, I've always believed that uh, the Canadian Football League athlete is uh, is really, I think, undersold by most of the sports fans that are out there watching. Chris Cuthbert joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Chris, you, you mentioned your, your age, uh, 62, and where that might fit in for future contracts and broadcast rights. Al Michaels is 75, still calling the NFL's premier property Sunday Night Football. Used to be on Monday Night Football. Do you see yourself calling games at 75? Or <laughs> Maybe not a fair question, but I'm No, I, you know what? I'd love to. And, and uh, even my mother was giving me the gears about me saying I'm getting old. But, uh, you know, you can't take any anything for granted and there's lots of listeners out there who uh, know the name Dan Kepley who I I had the great opportunity to work with uh, at CBC he was we were were doing games together in the 90s and whenever I planned for the future Kepley would start shaking his head with dismay and say you show me the piece of paper that tells you that you're going to be around then so yeah nobody's given me that piece of paper that says uh, I'm going to be uh, you know around and fit to call games like Al Michaels when I'm 75. Man, I would love that opportunity. Uh, Not much after 75, mind you, but uh, I would love to. But in the meantime, I'm uh, going to take advantage of the opportunity that's been given me. 
Okay, so so with this move to Rogers, are you guaranteed to be the guy for the Stanley Cup final? I mean, clearly Jim Houston has no. been in that chair. Do, do we, do we don't know yet. No, not at all. Jim Jim and I are are both going to do games. There's no real uh, uh, right now. No real firm plan on uh, when I'll be doing or where I'll be doing games. I I expect to be doing games at the Bell Center in Montreal and in uh, right across the country and. Uh, I've kidded because I'm not a big fan of that booth up top in Edmonton, but uh, uh, this is uh, this is how badly I wanted to have the lower uh, booth position in in Edmonton. So now I'll get it on a on a Saturday night when I when I come to do Oiler games, which will be great too. So. And what Chris means is that all the media are in the press box at Rogers Place except the home TV broadcast or the Canadian national TV broadcast for national games. They get to call it from the concourse. We're only eight stories away from the ice, Chris. Yeah, it's it's the... It's the nosebleed section to be sure. I mean, the first time in, I somebody had to tell me which one was Connor McDavid. So uh, uh, it, it, it's that's that's a tough place to call a game as well as you'd like to call it. That and yet the concourse is uh, as good a place in the league as you can get. So yeah, that's uh, that that was that's a major perk for me to go to Rogers. Uh, I'm going to close off with one final one. I, I mean, I, I always say for myself, I, I got into broadcasting is because I like telling stories and being creative. You, you don't get into it to be the story, but you've risen to the point in your career the last couple times you've changed jobs that that in itself is a story. What's it like being in that spotlight? Yeah, I, I think all of us who are in this business don't like being the story. I certainly didn't like it in 2005 because that was not a voluntary move. Um, I'm much, I'm much more comfortable telling the stories of the guys on the ice and on the field, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to getting back to doing that uh, as soon as possible. Chris, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. We've had some people uh, texting in on our text line, numerous texts wishing you well. Of course, like me, a lot of people saying they remembered watching you anchoring in CBC Edmonton. So we wish you all the best, and we look forward to seeing you and hearing you when the NHL gets back. Thanks, Reed, and I appreciate that from all the fans, and I am uh, really looking forward to getting back to calling games on Saturday night, and calling some games in Edmonton will be terrific. Thank you. That is the one and only Chris Cuthbert, very popular play-by-play voice across the country. So many years doing football and speaking of Crosby's golden goal, he called that back in 2010, and now... This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When the NHL restarts, he will be doing playoff games. Quick timeout. It's the best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Great Canadian sports moments. Mike Weir, 2003 Masters. 
that was a big one for me, seeing him outlast Len Matisse in a playoff 2003. Really strong year for Mike Weir, one of the best ever by a Canadian golfer. It is Canada Day. We do think about some of those great moments in Canadian sports history here on Inside Sports. We reflect on some of our greatest interviews from over the past month. It's a best-of edition. Drake Kajula on the show tonight, former Edmonton Oiler, now with the Chicago Blackhawks. He'll tell you about his trade to Edmonton just after Christmas or sorry, his trade from Edmonton to Chicago just after Christmas 2018. We'll also check up, uh, check in with Chuck Swirsky, the former play-by-play voice of the Toronto Raptors, now calling games for the Chicago Bulls. Onions, one of his catchphrases. We'll get the story behind that all ahead. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. Warren Moon, one of the all-time greatest and most popular athletes in the history of the city of Edmonton. Talked to him a couple of weeks ago about how being black played a role in him coming to the CFL in the late 70s. Yeah, it was definitely my preference to go to the NFL, just like I think any other kid that grows up and has goals to, to play professional football. They want to play in their own country, and it'd be, it'd be like a Canadian uh, hockey player. If he's growing up, he wants to play you know, hockey in Canada if he can, and, and uh, so it was no different for me. But the NFL, because of discrimination, because of the stereotypes and stigmas against uh, African-American quarterbacks, they weren't going to give me a chance to play quarterback uh, coming out of college. So... The Canadian Football League gave me that opportunity, and that's why I'll always uh, have a special place in my heart for them because they believed in me when my own country didn't. So, yeah, uh, discrimination definitely had a, a part in it. Racism had a part in it. And uh, it was a great experience for me, though. I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. But like I said, I didn't know anything about Canada before I went up there. And all I really wanted to do was play in the National Football League. But I'm glad I got a chance to experience both because they were both uh, unbelievable experiences. What kind of things did NFL teams and scouts tell you? I mean, did they, did they, was it ever that blatant that they just said, we can't have a black quarterback? Did they try to disguise no, it? No, they, they would never, they would never be that, that uh, honest about it. They're going to tell you all the deficiencies they think that you have. I was told I was too short, and I, I think everybody knows I was right around 6'3". Uh, I was about 210 pounds when I came up to, to Edmonton, so it wasn't like I was a little guy. Um, they said my arm wasn't strong enough. Uh, that was probably one of my my biggest attributes was the strength of my arm. Um, they said I didn't play in a pro-style offense in college. Well, a lot of guys didn't play in pro-style offenses in college, but they still went on to the NFL and, and made the transition. So they told me everything that uh, they thought I needed to hear to, to discourage me, but I knew none of it was truthful because I knew the competition that was coming out the same year as me in, uh, in college, and I knew I was better than a lot of those guys that got drafted. Yeah, that's, I mean, I remember you as having an extremely strong arm, both in Canada and the United States. I mean, wouldn't you, once you got to the NFL, wouldn't have you had one of the strongest arms in the league? That was one of my strengths. I mean, that's what I did best. I knew how to run around and make things happen. My strength was throwing the football. I could throw it in the pocket. I could throw it on the run. And, uh, yeah, that was never, that was never, uh, one of my weaknesses. I don't even know what my weakness really was because one of the things that made me a, a really good player is I was very versatile. I could do a lot of different things and you could put me in any offense and I could, and I could be okay in that offense. 
Warren, I'm going to ask you maybe a bit of a tough question, but this was, uh, you know, a little over 40 years ago when you came out of college, came to Canada and, uh, you know, early 80s, obviously you, you went to the NFL and, and had a great career there. I know we still have a lot to, to work on and, and I, you know, things have been pretty tense in the United States and I'm not suggesting Canada is perfect by any means, but that's where a lot of the violence has been. Are, are things better in your mind? Have there at least been steps in the right direction, even though it's not enough? Or how do you look at racism and, and, and race in sports these days? Well, you know, things are not better, uh, but I think they're on the way to getting better. I think because people are now starting to listen to one another, I think uh, people understand that they are part of the problem where they always felt like they weren't. Uh, and they also, this, and I'm talking, you know, whites in general in this country, um, they're going to have to help. They're going to have to help this problem be solved because African Americans can't do it on their own. So as long as they're listening, as long as they're understanding that, that they they are part of the problem, and uh, we 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 have to come up with a lot of different uh, solutions and suggestions on how to fix things. That's uh, that's a big step in the right direction because those things haven't been happening over the last so many years. But it took something like this uh, horrific. Uh, murder of George Floyd in front of everybody, so so vivid, um, so visual, uh, so slow, so agonizing that I think it really caught people's attention. And then you couple all the other other African Americans who have died in the hands of of police that were that were uh, already apprehended, and you wonder how they ended up dead. You know, there's a problem there. So some of those problems are starting to be heard and. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in this country that are protesting. There are people all over the world doing that as well. So it's gotten the attention of not only people in this country, but people all over the world. Yeah. Warren Moon joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Great perspective from Warren. Of course, Warren, a former Edmonton Eskimo, now an analyst uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, before we let you go, let's talk a little bit of football, Warren. It's always great to touch on that with you. Uh, Ricky Ray, who you know, one of another great Eskimo quarterback of the past. I, I had him on a few weeks ago, and he talked about his one season in the National Football League when he went and was a backup with the uh, New York Jets. And he said he went to a uh, you know a, a, a camp to kind of showcase himself for NFL teams. And he said they want to see you can that you can make all the different types of throws. And I said, right. what throws are there in the NFL that aren't in the CFL? And he described, you know, how close the hash marks are together in the NFL changes the angles. And he said, you never would really throw a long, wide side throw in the CFL if a guy's throw making a comeback pattern. Were those sort of the, some of the adjustments you found when you went from one league to the other? Yeah, because of the size of the field, you know, the windows that you throw the ball into are going to be a little bit wider in Canada. So in the NFL, because the the, the field is shrunk by about 12, 15 yards, uh, those windows are a lot tighter and you have to be a lot more accurate with the football. Your timing has to be a little bit better. Your anticipation has to be a little bit better. So you can't, uh, there's less room for error. So, uh, and it, it, the type of routes that we run in the NFL compared to Canada are the same type of routes, but that ball has to be in the air just a little bit more quicker. It has to be a little bit more timing to it. So I, that's what I think he was trying to talk about. Yeah, it was interesting to talk to him, and he never really 
got an opportunity. There was an injury in training camp, and he thought he might move up the depth chart, and then the Jets went out and signed. I think it was Quincy Carter who'd been with the Cowboys, and then Ricky said, so I was number three again, so he never really thought he was going to get a good chance to prove himself. And he said he'd, he said he'd only get one or two reps in practice, right, because you're the third string guy, so he, he found it hard to even improve. Yeah, he was lucky to get that. A lot of times the, the starter wants to take all the reps, especially when you get into the season, and then the backup gets whatever's left. So if you're the third guy, yeah, you're usually just running scout team where you're running the other team's plays for the defense. So that's where you get your work. One of the biggest stories, and, and honestly, Warren, if not for the, the pandemic and everything that's happening, this might have been talked about even more than it has been. I mean, Tom Brady changed teams, right? I mean, that's, that's like when Gretzky was, went from Edmonton to L.A. almost. How, how do you look at him deciding to make a change at this point in his career, and does that automatically elevate Tampa how far up in your mind? Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised he left because you you play somewhere for twenty years. You just think you're going to go ahead and ride it out in that one place. But but uh, New England had different ideas, and Tom, I guess, had different ideas as well. He's fortunate to play one place for twenty years. That just doesn't usually happen in sports, in any type of sport, especially team sports. But uh, he's had that great a career, and he still wants to continue to play, and he's still playing kind of, you know, at a, at a high level. So you you couple that with um, with a with a team that he's going to that has a lot of offensive weapons. Their defense was one of the better defenses in the league over the last seven games of the season. So you bring in a Tom Brady who's not going to turn the football over as much as Jameis Winston did last year, who was their quarterback. Uh, to go along with those weapons, yeah, you, you would think this would be a 9-10 win team that, that possibly has a chance to make it to the playoffs. So we'll just wait and see how it turns out. Uh, the fact that he can't really get with all of his teammates is, is, is a negative right now because whenever you're new coming into a place, you want to spend as much time as you can with your teammates and try and develop that chemistry and that camaraderie. But because of the pandemic, he hasn't been able to do that. So that would be one of the big negatives. That uh, he's not gonna he's not gonna have as much time in the off season to get to know all of these guys as the teams that already have quarterbacks in place. You cover the Seattle Seahawks. Another good year. Couldn't quite get over the hump against Green Bay in the playoffs. I think they had a couple of drops on a drive late in the game where they where they maybe could have pulled that one out. Uh, it seems to be though with with. Uh, with Carroll and, and Russell Wilson, they just find a way to keep on churning and being competitive. Yeah, when, whenever you have really good ownership, you have a um, uh, really good general manager in John Snyder who keeps bringing in good young players that they develop, and then you've got a coach like Pete Carroll who the players love playing for and one of the top quarterbacks in the league, you're going to always put yourself in a position to be able to win a lot of football games. And I think it's going to be the same way this year. Um, if they can sign Giovanni and Clowney back, as a defensive end to, to keep that pressure on the quarterback. Uh, offensively, I think they're going to be good again. And uh, defensively, they had a lot of young players, but I think those guys, because of all the all the uh, experience they got last year, are only going to be that much better. So yeah, this team will be right back in the thick of things, even though they're playing one of the most, I think, competitive divisions in football. 
Warren, it's always great to have you on the show. I'm just going to wrap up with a text message I got here from one of your fans who says, great memories of the great Warren Moon throwing ropes down the middle to Tommy Scott and eating his cookies. So there you go. They liked your football <laughs> and they liked your business too. <laughs> yeah, the, the cookies were good. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, I had a chance to talk with Tommy Scott a, a week ago. We did a, uh, a recap of our 81 Great Cup. Me, Tommy, Eric Upton, and, and Ed Jones. And it's going to be released by the CFL when they, when they edit it and put it all together. But we had a lot of fun just talking over that game and what we were thinking in certain situations, what we talked about at halftime. It was a lot of fun. So, uh, People should look forward to seeing that. That is the one and only Warren Moon. Always awesome to catch up with him. Marty Jelena on a couple of former teammates going into the Hockey Hall of Fame when we come back. The 2020 Hall of Fame class includes Oilers General Manager Ken Holland going in in the Builders category. Kevin Lowe, six-time Stanley Cup champ, five of those with the Oilers. He will be inducted as well, as will St. Albert native Jerome Aginla, who played most of his career with the Calgary Flames. Marty Jelena, current assistant coach with the Flames, played for Calgary in 04, and he says Aginla was a driving force in them going all the way to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Jerome, every time in that playoff run, uh, he's just every time he's on the ice, he's impactful. He was a difference maker. Uh, he was uh, he was a guy on a on a mission. And uh, there's really two guys. We had a blue collar team. Uh, didn't really belong. Uh, didn't really belong. Uh, I mean, we belong in the playoff, but nobody was expecting us uh, to win. But there's two guys that really made a difference, and there's uh, Jerome and and Kipper, and those two guys really, and everybody else uh, kind of followed the followed the lead but Jerome was a he was a, a, a man on a, on a mission and a par forward and when the game was on the line uh, he stepped up and, and uh, was a difference maker tell me a little bit about getting to know him as a person certainly he's very well respected he, he's known in the Edmonton area be, being from St. Albert and you know he, he he always seemed to me Marty is one of those guys you know he'd be really intense on the ice and then you know there'd be a shot of him on the bench or he'd do a post-game interview and he's got the biggest smile on his face that he uh he almost just seemed like a, a big kid sometimes just enjoying playing the game you know, it's probably one of the classiest guy I, I've played with. Uh, on the ice, you, you talk about it, and you were bang on. Uh, you wanted to win every shift. You wanted to win every game. You, you wanted to take charge. You wanted to lead the way. But off ice, he was just the kind of uh, person that I know. He was uh, he was in, uh, engaged uh, with with. The fans. He was involved with different charities here in Calgary, uh, so he was a difference maker off the ice too. With uh, uh, with his personality, he's got he's charismatic. Uh, he's got that. You always see that big smile, and and I always say, what you see is what you get. That's who he is. He's just he treats everybody the the way he like to be treated. Uh, I think he used the golden rule, uh, and uh, he's uh, he's a classy guy. Hockey's such a physical game, and, and Jerome scored a lot of his goals, as, as we like to call it, by going to the dirty areas. And I'm just looking over his stats here. I, I mean, really, except for one season, he played 70 or more games every year. And most of the time, he played he played all 82. How did he uh, you know, play that style and, and stay healthy? 
It's it's not easy to do because it's it is hard, it's demanding, it's physically uh, challenging to play to play that way all the time. Not only playing physical, playing a hard physical game, but uh, dropping the gloves once in a while and and uh, and and doing whatever you need to do to win. So 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 uh, so it's a quite an accomplishment uh, that he played the way he played for for that long. And uh, when I talked to him maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and uh, and we're talking about different sports of what today. He said, you know, I got my hip and and his knees were were aching a little bit. So so uh, his playing career took a toll on his body. No question about it. Martin Jella joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Jerome McGinley, who uh, was a teammate for a couple of years with the Calgary Flames, will be going into the Hall of Fame from an Oilers angle. Ken Holland, for his years as GM in Detroit, will go in. And Kevin Lowe, the Oilers' all-time leader in games played, will go in in November as well. And uh, Marty, when, when I reached out to the Flames to see if we could get you on tonight, I you know, figured Jerome would have a pretty good chance to go in. I, I wasn't so sure about Kevin Lowe, but now I get a chance to ask you about that as well because you were uh, a young, energetic player who made some pretty important contributions in uh, in 1990 on a, on a veteran team with players like Kevin Lowe who had who had been there before what do you remember about being Kevin's teammate especially during that 1990 run you know what uh, there's there's uh, you know at that time I couldn't, I, I couldn't speak English and Kevin could speak French uh, and and there's always people that you gravitate and and that you know they're gonna help you out and and uh, Kevin did that to me he was uh, he was always uh, he was always there for, for me he was all, always uh, helping out so so that shows you that it's the type of person and 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 that's the type of leadership that Kevin Lowe has uh, it's always uh, I was listening to your interview before. It was always about winning, and it was always about the team with Kevin. And uh, he, he made sure that everybody was included in part of it. And, and I'm pretty grateful uh, that I came at a young age and into a team that was uh, surrounded by great, uh, great leadership. But Kevin Lowe was a difference maker. Craig McTavish, I mean, mess, and, and the list goes on. But Kevin was was awesome. Well, and it's you know thirty years since that championship, so there, there have been a lot of storytelling about that, and a lot of memories of Bill Ranford and his spectacular goaltending. After a bit of a rocky start against the Jets, but then he was almost unbeatable after uh, about the fourth game of the of the first round. And, and you you played on that that young uh, energetic line, and it just seemed like. Whenever the Oilers needed to turn the tide a little bit, uh, what was it? You and Murphy and Graves went out there and gave the team a bit, bit of a shot in the arm. Yeah, you know what? It, it just kind of clicked. Uh, it just happened that uh, uh, the team needed a little bit of a spark. You got to realize uh, they had four cups before, did everything, and and uh, and put a young uh, young line of, of just kids together. Just want to to be a difference maker and play hard and just skate and buzz. And that's what we did. And I think created some, some energy for the rest of the team. And, and then, uh, and then uh, everybody kind of bought in and started playing, uh, playing hard and playing the same way. Uh, so it was a, for me, I'm, I'm thankful and grateful that uh, I had a chance to, to be part of that team and, and winning a Stanley Cup with Edmonton. 
you know, I, you were talking about playing for a long time after that, uh, uh, 1,300 games and and, uh, and playoffs and so on, and uh, didn't have a chance to win another one. So pretty thankful that uh, surrounded by some great people in Edmonton, a great team, and, and winning a cup there. Well, we, we should mention, though, I, I mean, you played on some teams that had some deep runs. You, you went to the uh, conference finals with the Oilers a couple of times uh, to Game 7 with Vancouver against the Rangers. Uh, Carolina in 2 I want to say Detroit beat you guys in 5. I'm trying to remember That's off the top right. of my head. Is, yeah, good memory. Yeah, you bet. And, and then also the, the Game 7 with the Flames. So, uh, you know, you didn't quite get as many rings as you would have liked, but you played on some some pretty special teams. And uh, I, I, who, who was – let me ask you this. Who was the – of the other three teams you were with, the Canucks, the Hurricanes, and the Flames, who was the biggest underdog uh, in their respective playoffs? It was uh, well for what we accomplished. I think it was the Flames. Uh, we were just a blue color, uh, blue color team, and and uh, and just kind of kind of snowball after we beat uh, we beat Vancouver in the first round. If you take the 1994 our team in Vancouver, uh, we were on their dog, but but still had Pavel Bure and Trevor Linden and and Kurt McLean, and we still had some good good players. Uh, in in uh, for for Cal. Agree. We, I mean, we were just a, a, a lunch bucket type of team. Just kind of work hard and got some breaks, and we played the right way, and and so on. So I think uh, that was the team that was more underdog. In 2002 in Carolina, uh, we still had some decent pieces. I mean, you had Ronnie Francis and Rod Brandemore and, and Arthur Zerbe, and the, the list goes on and on. So we still had a good team there too. Um, but other teams, that was the era where there's no salary cap too. So, so 1994 is no salary cap. So, uh, so it's quite an accomplishment to uh, uh, to go seven games against uh, against the Rangers. That is Marty Jelena. Good to catch up with him. Speaking of the Hockey Hall of Fame, he's already in it. Glenn Anderson. When we get back, six thirty. Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on six thirty. Chad.